Good morning, Ozark family. I've heard people say before that when a person loses one of their senses, like sight or hearing, it's often the case that the other senses will be enhanced to make up for that loss. And in a way, we've all lost one of our senses in the last few weeks. We've lost the ability to physically be in each other's presence. We've lost the ability to hug and be hugged. Shaking hands eventually gave way to fist bumps. Fist bumps gave way to elbow bumps, which gave way eventually to waving at each other from across the room at a safe distance. Now we're at the point where anybody gets within six feet of you, it's assault. We've been reduced to treating other people like they're lava. And so in a, in a very real sense, we've lost one of our critical faculties. We've lost one of our senses. But in that loss, many of us are experiencing at the same time, an enhancement of our other senses. We're responding to our isolation by reaching out to each other more than ever before. We're texting, we're FaceTiming, we're Zooming. Oh my goodness, are we Zooming? I'm certain that I've never used the English word Zoom more than I have in the last three weeks of my life. Some of us are even doing old-fashioned things like writing letters or rediscovering that our phones can be used to make phone calls. We're right now living out the words of 1 Thessalonians 2.17, where Paul says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. I've noticed that even as we're separated from each other, so many of us have ramped up our efforts to encourage and to check in with each other, to remind each other that we're not alone in this and that we remain deeply loved. And we need that encouragement. We've always needed that encouragement, but we need that encouragement even more so today. And that's what I've been asked to talk about this morning. One of the functions of the church has always been encouragement. A closely related word, in fact, the, the two words appear side by side in, in several contexts in the New Testament. A closely related word is the word edify. One of the functions of the church is that we, we edify each other. We literally build one another up. We build one another up. And it's, it's hard to think of a timelier message than this message today. For in a time where we feel like all the circumstances of our life are conspiring to kind of tear us down, we need each other more than ever to build to build one another up. The building metaphor is a fairly common one in the New Testament. One of the most memorable examples is at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. I know you know the reference. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. To Jesus, every person is a construction worker. Every person's life is under construction. The difference between the foolish and the wise is what foundation they choose to build their lives upon. In the end, it's not about the square footage. It's not about the granite countertops. It's not about the wall-to-wall -wall hardwood floors that matter. If the foundation is bad, then nothing else really matters, especially and especially during those stormy seasons of our life. Notice in the Sermon on the Mount, we're active in the building. We're the ones that are doing the building. But that's not the case in another context in 1 Peter. In 1 Peter 2, uh, verses 4 and 5, 
We read this, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. The words in the passive voice here, as you come to Christ, you are being built apparently built by God himself, into a temple, into a spiritual house in order to become a holy priesthood. God doesn't leave us alone. He actually turns us into building materials. Every time I read this passage, I go back to an experience I had years ago um, when I was um, uh, touring the ancient city of Philippi. Um, In Philippi, we, we saw this ancient basilica this ancient house of worship. And as we were going through this ancient basilica, our tour guide was giving us a, a lesson on architectural history. And, uh, and she said, look at, the, look at the edifice of the building. Look at the, the, the front wall of the building. What you'll see there is three different periods of architectural history. The, 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 the edifice of the building, the front wall of the building was made up of, first of all, large marble slabs these large white marble slabs stacked on top of each other. And she said, that represents the Greek period of of architecture. Now, a little bit further up, you saw, instead of the marble slabs, you saw those give way to small red bricks laid evenly in parallel with each other. And she said, that represents the Roman period of architectural history. And then a little bit further up and kind of mixed throughout the wall were just random stones that had been brought together um, to form a solid wall. And she said that represents the Christian era of architectural history. They call that rubble masonry. What, what, what the builders would do is they would find rubble on the ground from, from either worn out buildings or discarded buildings, and they would repurpose that rubble into the edifice of their building thus building the the wall out of rubble. And I thought at the time, and I still think, what a great image, what a great metaphor for the church. Each one of us, despite our flaws, despite our defects, um, despite being maybe unimpressive in the eyes of the world, is being repurposed and built into the very temple of God. But But then we come to another passage like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11. Here's what we read there. I'm actually going to start reading in verse 9. It says, For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, now here's the key verse, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. So if you paid attention to the progression here, we've moved from building ourselves up to being built up, 1 Peter, to now, 1 Thessalonians, we build each other up. And I'm not sure what to make of all this, except to say that the Christian life involves a lot of building. And what about the church? Well, we've had it driven home to us, haven't we, in the last few weeks, that the church, in fact, isn't a building. It never was a building. But the church, nevertheless, is always building. Just listen to some of these verses. Some of these verses are going to sound familiar to you. Take uh, Ephesians 4.29, for instance. 
Um, Ephesians 4.29 says, um, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building each other up. I actually kind of like the ESV translation a little better here. The ESV says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The word here that the, that the NIV translates unwholesome, it's, it's not really describing a state of being. It's actually describing an effect. The word is used in the Gospels by Jesus to talk about a diseased tree that produces rotten and diseased fruit. We've, we've heard a lot of talk lately uh, on the news and, and in other places about people who uh, actually are spreading disease innocently, spreading disease just through conversations that they have with friends and with loved ones, um, unwittingly spreading this disease. And that that's kind of the point that Paul is making here as well. He says that through the words that we use, through the words that come out of our mouths, what we say, how we say it, when we say it perhaps, we can either spread decay and disease or we could actually build one another up through the words that we use and spread grace. Or what about, here's another verse, what about 1 Corinthians 8 verse 1 where Paul says simply, knowledge puffs up while love builds up. I've learned a new word uh, recently. Uh, the word is infodemic. Infodemic means an excessive amount of information concerning a problem such that the solution is actually made more difficult. You have too much information. There's so much information that you're overwhelmed by the information. And so you, ha you know less about how to solve the problem than you did before because you just have so much information. And the point, the point that's sometimes made is that, yes, we are now suffering from a period of pandemic, but we're also suffering at the same time from an infodemic. We're trapped in our homes. We scroll through article after article after article. We scroll af uh, through tweet after tweet, post after post. And we're looking for answers, right? We're looking for assurance. We're looking for knowledge. I've, I've learned more about viruses in the past month than I could have ever possibly believed. I wish I could say it's helped. It's mostly been exhausting. Especially for my wife, and when she gets tired of it, for Doug Welch, who get to hear all about my latest ideas and all my latest theories. Now listen, there's obviously nothing wrong with knowledge. There's nothing wrong with pursuing learning. I've, after all, dedicated my life to that. You've dedicated yourself to learning at this institution. Teaching has always been one of the ways that we build one another up. We build one another up in knowledge and truth. In fact, you go back to Acts 2, in the beginning days of the church, we're told that sound teaching, listening to sound teaching, uh, was one of the earliest things that the church invo involved themselves in doing in order to build each other up. A good way to actually tear down a disciple is to fill them with lies to fill them with half-truths, to fill them with misinformation. Truth is a matter of life or death, both physically and spiritually. So don't let anyone ever tell you otherwise. Truth matters. Knowledge matters. 
But knowledge alone, knowledge by itself, has the, has the ability to puff us up. It can lead to arrogance, it can lead to callousness, it could lead to dismissiveness, to desire to know, to desire to have everything figured out, um, to, the desire to, to control our world and to manage our insecurities with just, with just one more article, one more book, one more blog. This can become a, pre, a, a, a precious idol sucking the very life out of our faith. And knowledge, knowledge can actually become a substitute for compassion and love if we're not careful. When this whole social distancing situation began in Joplin, uh, the Ragsdales had nine rolls of toilet paper in their house. I know because I counted them and locked them up in my bedroom. As the days went by, um, things started to get a little bit concerning. I started to wonder if I might have to actually raid the school and steal some of our awful single-ply tissue paper. Um, but then one night my doorbell rang. On my front porch was a pack of 18 beautiful rolls of toilet paper and a dozen home-baked cookies that were left there by my small group leader at church. And honestly, I've got to tell you, that one act of love... As cheesy as it sounds, that one act of love built me up more. It edified me more than any article that I had read. Love builds up. Knowledge only builds up if it is seasoned by and motivated by love. Or what about, how about one more verse? You know I got I to gotta include Hebrews in this sermon. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now the word edify isn't used in this text, but I think that edification is what this passage is ultimately about. Uh, the word spur um, in this context, it actually means to instigate. It means to annoy. Think perhaps of a family living in the same house and unable to go outside for three weeks. Think about that level of annoyance, that level of instigation that might happen. That's what this word means, to spur one another on. And usually the word is negative, but Hebrews uses the word in a positive sense. He says, if you're going to instigate each other, if you're going to spur one another on, if you're going to annoy each other, then, then instigate each other towards love and towards good deeds. It's a reminder, I think, this verse is a reminder that edification doesn't always feel good to the person being edified. In fact, decay is always so much easier than health. It actually takes, takes work to be healthy. It takes work to stay in shape. And the same is true about us spiritually as well. Decay is so much easier than health for us spiritually. So we have to care enough about each other that we're willing to do the difficult thing of spurring one another on, instigating each other towards love and good deeds. Edification is not always just a gentle hug of affirmation. Sometimes, sometimes what's really needed is a kick in the rear. One additional thing that this verse reminds us of it says that this kind of edification is only possible if we don't give up meeting with each other. 
Now, a lot of us right now, I, I got to be honest, a lot of us are struggling with the temptation to drift from each other in this moment, to drift perhaps from the church. And that's, that's the normal course of things for a lot of people. When you get down, when you get discouraged, when you get depressed, when you're feeling anxiety, a lot of us, our first impulse is actually to withdraw. Our first impulse is to, to disconnect. But now more than ever, church, now more than ever, we must not leave each other alone. I, I've, I've found myself over the last several days and weeks, I've found myself actually thanking God that in such a time as this, the technology has actually been prepared in advance for us to remain connected, even if it is only a virtual connection. We must not fall out of the habit of meeting together, whatever that meeting might actually look like. The church builds. Here's the problem, though. The problem is, who cares? Who cares? And I don't want to be too calloused, but the question needs to be asked, doesn't it? Who cares? I mean, edification, think about it. Edification isn't something that's unique to the church. It's not as if the church, we're the only ones out here that are edifying people or building people up. I've talked to plenty of unbelievers and many of them make a point sort of like this. They'll say, you know what? I can get so many of the, of the good things um, from the church, um, from, from the world without all the God stuff. I mean, if I need encouragement, I can get all the encouragement that I need from my family and from my friends. I mean, that's the only opinion that I really care about anyway. Edification. A decent internet search can provide more edification than I could get from the average preacher on a Sunday morning. Why watch a preacher on the internet when podcasts exist? Uh, do you hear the question being asked? What, if anything, it's an important question. What, if anything, makes our edification of each other any different? What, if anything, makes the edification found uniquely in the church precious? I've started watching a new show on Netflix during the quarantine. Not that show, Sinners. I've been watching the show Nailed It with my daughter. And it's, it's actually a really, really simple show. Um, you basically just get several amateur bakers... You show them some sort of complicated decorative dessert. You give them a short amount of time to replicate the dessert in their own way, and hilarity ensues. It's a great show. There's one essential ingredient to the show, though. If this ingredient weren't there, you wouldn't have a show at all. The essential ingredient is the model dessert. It's the goal that all these bakers are trying to achieve. Without this model dessert, you just have a bunch of random people in a room cooking up random things with no direction, and it's ultimately not very entertaining. So what does this have to do with edification? Well, I think it has actually quite a bit to do with edification. Edification, you see, assumes that there's some sort of goal in mind. How do you build anything if you have no clue what you're trying to build? How do you build anything if you don't know if you're getting closer or further away from that goal? Even a kid, if you put, in a, if you put a kid in a room with a bunch of random Legos, that kid won't absentmindedly start putting the Legos together. That kid will operate according to some sort of goal in his or her mind. So how do you, here's the question, how do you build a person if you have no idea what kind of person you are building? 
Now, the answer that the world typically gives is that we need to look within ourselves for that answer. Over 400 years ago, Shakespeare articulated the motto for modern life. To thine own self be true. To thine own self be true. Be true to yourself. That's the goal of modern life. And so the goal of our edification of each other is is just to help each other be true to themselves. The problem is that when Shakespeare wrote these words in Hamlet, he actually put them into the mouth of a guy named Polonius. And Polonius was the chief advisor of the main villain in the story. Polonius, Polonius never gave any good advice in Hamlet, including and especially his most famous line. To turn this line into your life's motto would be sort of like allowing Dolores Umbridge or Loki to write the main motto for your entire life. It doesn't make any sense. Is there, any more, is it, is there anything more discouraging or disheartening than to tell a person that the only real hope that they ever have is just to look within themselves? One of the best ways to create a generation full of anxiety is to insist in telling them that there is ultimately no purpose, that there is no goal, that there's no ambition, that there's no hope outside of just looking within themselves. To that false notion, the church answers as it has always answered. There is ultimately a better way, a way that leads not to anxiety, not to discouragement, but a way that actually leads to hope and peace, and salvation. You go back to the words of Jesus in Matthew. He says, whoever builds his life on my teaching, on my words, that person is like a man who built his house on the rock, and when the storms of life come his way, he is strong, he is resilient, because he's built his house on a strong foundation, the foundation of Jesus and his teachings. Or you think about 1 Peter. Again, Peter says, as you come to him... The living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. As you come to him, he says. Or what about 1 Thessalonians 5.11? Again, in verse 9, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. And then it says, therefore, or in other words, because of that, encourage and edify one another. Do you hear the point? The point is that the only thing that makes any difference at all is Jesus. We build each other up into the likeness of Christ. That's the goal. That's the ambition. We participate in each other's sanctification. He is the direction and goal of all of our edification. The goal of our encouragement, listen, the goal of our encouragement isn't simply that people feel encouraged. It's so that people see Jesus. The goal of our edification isn't that people feel edified. It's so that people look like Jesus. As I I was writing this sermon, I couldn't help but have names and faces flash through my memory, reminding me of how the church has built me into the person I am today, reminding me of how the church has edified me through the years. I thought, for instance, of of Duke. 
Duke was my seventh grade Sunday school teacher. And all the kids were always excited to get into Duke's seventh grade Sunday school class because they knew that Duke was going to allow you to ask weird, difficult, and challenging questions. It was from Duke that I first learned that it's okay to ask questions in church. I, I started thinking about my high school years, going to, going to church camp all through my high school years, and, and the dean of that camp, year after year, was a guy named Jeff, but we all called him Higgy. And, and those of you who grew up going to church camp, you know that, that there are magical things that happen in church camps. And one of the things that Higgy taught me is he taught me as a high school student not just to talk about Jesus, but Higgy actually taught me how to love Jesus. I thought about my mom. My mom taught me that holiness, and she still, she still teaches me that holiness matters. My dad taught me that commitment to the church is for both good times and bad. My best friends through the years, guys, guys with names like Jonas and Luke and Voltar and Chad, these friends have taught me that there are going to be many times in your life where you're not strong enough on your own. I thought about Chuck. Chuck was a, a, a professor and a mentor of mine in college, and Chuck was the first person who forced me very much against my will to learn how to preach. I thought about Bob. Bob was another mentor and professor of mine in grad school who, who taught me to fall in love with studying the Bible in a deeper way. I think today of friends like Doug and Michael, who taught me that it's important to have people in your life who don't just know the truth, but are also willing to tell you the truth. I could list a lot more. I'm wondering, who would you list? Who has played a part in building you up in Christ? Who has annoyed you and invested in you because they loved you so much that they couldn't just leave you alone? Now, if you can't get excited about having that same sort of impact in someone else's life, I don't know what else to tell you. I am incomplete without the ministry of the church. I am incomplete without the, without the ministry of the church building me up, edifying me, encouraging me, and so are you. But the church is also incomplete without your ministry of building others up. And that is why we work and that is why we prepare. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this ministry of edification. And now more than ever, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't leave each other alone, but that we would work all the more diligently um, to spur one another on, to build each other up into your likeness. Lord, we thank you that you've made us a family, that you've made us a building, that you've made us a body, that we all can work together and that we could um, compensate for each other's weaknesses, that where I'm strong, someone else might be weak, where I'm weak, someone else might be strong, that we can help continually, daily to build each other up. Give us the strength and the courage to do that through your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.